Welcome to the Help for Hip Dysplasia podcast. I'm your host, Laura Rotford, a physiotherapist, Pilates instructor, and fellow hippie. We're here to talk all things hip dysplasia, to build a community, to support and guide each other through the ups and the downs. If you like the podcast, please share it and rate it. It does help others to find it too. And if you have any feedback or questions, they're always welcome. Email me at laura at helpforhipdysplasia.com. That's it for now. Let's get started with the show. Welcome everybody to the Help for Hip Dysplasia podcast. I have here with me this week Kathleen Callahan from over in the States. Welcome Kathleen. Thank you. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat to us and tell us a little bit more about your story. Um, we've obviously connected um, previous to this and you've invited me to have a read through your blog which has been absolutely fantastic to read um, and something that I know a lot of the listeners would really love to read as well so I'll absolutely link to the show notes in that. Um, so can you just tell me a little bit about your story? When did you even hear about hip dysplasia? Um, a little bit about the history. Yes, uh, it started about three, almost four years ago at this point. Um, and it actually started with a hernia, three hernias in my abdomen. So it was quite a journey to get to the root cause of all of these issues. but. I was working out in the gym one day, did a really hardcore exercise, felt really sore. And then the next day I was like, this is not a good sore. There's something bigger going on. And then for, well, so then the next week I was like, okay, I'll just take a rest, which I worked out constantly. I used to be a gymnast. So it's really aggressive with my workouts. So I'm like, okay, I'll just rest and go to yoga. So a few days after that, I went to yoga class, did the pigeon stretch, got really relaxed in that, thought it was going to be great for my stomach issues. And I'm pretty sure in that class, I tore my right labrum. So I think like back to back, I got a hernia and a labral tear. So I woke up the next day, I couldn't go into work. My whole back was just in excruciating pain. I had no idea what was wrong. Um, and then I just wasn't, I never, I've gotten injured from gymnastics, but I wasn't someone that ever went to the doctor. So I just gave it, you know, another week or two and then it wasn't going away. So eventually I started seeing doctors um, and the, over time, the hip and back pain lessened and it really, I was starting to feel it in my stomach more. So I sort of a cycle for six months, it would be, I would, not do anything for two weeks like I wouldn't move I would start to feel better then I was so excited to go back into the gym I'd go do a workout and then it would just spiral all out of control again so I knew there was something wrong that the doctors couldn't identify and it was terrible that first six months I mean I just feel like I was dismissed by every doctor I saw I saw a sports med doctor that just said, you should probably just rest for two weeks. This was after like four months of excruciating pain. So it was pretty traumatic. I broke down after every appointment. I was terrified because I thought there was something, like at one point I'm like, do I have a tumor? Like, what is this? So eventually because I wasn't getting the answers from any doctors, I just started Googling and researching everything I could. And I basically identified that I had a hernia in my stomach. So 
I called my doctor and said, I don't even want to come in to see you, but can you order me a hernia um, ultrasound? And so they were able to do that. I went in, got the ultrasound. Turns out, yes, I do have a hernia. So this was after six months of the pain. Um, and then got just a general surgeon. I was in Seattle at the time. They thought something looked a little bit weird. So they did a few more tests and they're like, we know you have one hernia. We're not really sure what else is going on. So in surgery, they found that I actually had three hernias total. Um, so explains why I was in so much pain. I also had a labral tear, but I didn't know it at that time because the stomach pain was, I think, more painful than the hip. And so I definitely notice I can only feel one pain at a time. So it's like whatever pain is most painful in the moment. Um, so I thought, okay, great. That's, it's all over. That was six months of hell. Like I'm going to be back to running in no time. I definitely didn't have the right mentality. The surgeon said I didn't need any physical therapy, that I would bounce right back within five weeks, like just start doing exercise again. So I didn't go, I didn't see a physical therapist because I was like, okay, great, I've totally healed. So I began, I started to run uh, two or three months. No, it was probably about four months. I went to an Orange Theory class. I don't know if you have Orange Theory near you. No, I don't, I don't know what that is. So it's very popular in the States. It's a really high intensity workout where you basically do sprints on the treadmill for about 30 minutes. And then you do like weight training and different movements for 30 minutes. Um, it's probably the most intense exercise class you can find in the States. And of course, as a gymnast, I was like, oh, I am just going to go all in and get back in shape after, at that point, like seven months of not, or no, like nine months of not working out. And I did that for a few weeks. And then I woke up one day after I felt something during the class. I woke up the next day in that excruciating pain again, my, my hip and my back. So I was like, oh, I got another hernia because I associated that pain with the hernia. Um, and so I, I've had about 20 hernia tests because every time my pain comes back, I'm convinced I have another hernia, but turns out I still don't have another hernia. So that well, was, <laughs> yeah, at least, I, yeah, they're fine. Um, so then I began another journey, very similar to the hernias where I couldn't figure out what was wrong. So it was very much in my hip this time, but since my hernia surgery, I've had like uh, a lot of tightness in my right abdomen. So they kind of, it was like right, basically from my upper ribs all the way down to my hip area was just chronically tight and chronically in pain. Um, I again went to some sports medicine doctors. I went to some hip doctors. They ordered me an MRI with, uh, for my right hip. They didn't find the tear because they didn't order enough images of it, so they missed it. So they sent me to physical therapy. Um, and in that process of physical therapy, my left hip also started hurting. So I don't know if I already had a tear in the left hip, but something from physical therapy like 
activated the pain. Um, so then I went back and forth, right hip, left hip, right hip, left hip. Did, still didn't know what was wrong with me. I sort of gave up on doctors for a few months because I was, nothing was working. And then eventually it was um, also probably about a six month time period. I went to a different hip surgeon he ordered me another MRI. I really pushed back. I was like, at that point, I had two or three MRIs on my hip. I had tons of x-rays. So I didn't think he was going to find anything. So I was like, can you just work with me? I don't want to do another test. He's like, no, I really think you have a labral tear. So he, I got the MRI. It was the one with the ink and you have to like and a diagnostic. So he asked, they like did it and I went and ran and then came back in and it, it did take away my pain, most of my pain, not all of my pain. Um, so he calls me like a week later and sure enough, I have two labral tears in both hips. So I was in some ways relieved to just hear that I had a diagnosis, even though that meant surgery. So this is about a year and a half from when the hernia original pain happened. Mm -hmm. So then I started seeing tons of different surgeons and that's when hip dysplasia came up. So it's been quite a process and it's still like something that hangs over me because I have very mild hip dysplasia, but I've gotten a lot of mixed messages from surgeons. So the surgeon that I ended up going with for my labral surgeries, he does tons of PAOs. He is the hip dysplasia guy in Colorado, and he's absolutely convinced that I need a PAO surgery because he thinks my dysplasia is causing all of the problems. Luckily, I went to about six different surgeons, and most of the surgeons said, I wouldn't even say you have dysplasia. If anything, it's very borderline and I would definitely not start with a PAO because you can't take that back um, and you might be fine without it. So I backed out like a week before of the PAO. I'm, I went to a surgeon, he's like, if you were my family member, I would absolutely not let you go through with this. So I kept my surgeon, but I backed out of the PAO. Um, he wasn't super thrilled with my decision, <laughs> but he accepted it. And so it's been this thing hanging over me because I am still in pain, though I'm getting better. Um, and yeah, it's always like a voice, do I need the PAO or do I not? So Basically, I got my, first, my right hip surgery in September of 2018, and then three months later, which was also a mistake to do it so close together, I got my <laughs> left hip surgery December 2018, and had a really, made a lot of progress the first three months, and then just completely went downhill. So about six months later, I couldn't walk. Uh, I, I mean, I could walk, but not for long, and I was in excruciating pain, and just everything sort of was unraveling again. Um, and at that point, I went to the Mayo Clinic. I don't know if you're familiar with the Mayo Clinic, but there are a few different locations in the States, and they're known as like the hub of medicine. So you have to get accepted to go there. I went, I flew to Arizona, I spent a week there, I got tons of tests. They confirmed that I shouldn't do the PAO, 
uh, they would say borderline at most. And I asked them about stem cells and PRP because I had been hearing that and looking into it on my own through research. And they, because the research isn't there for PRP, they can't really promote it, but they sort of, they're like, that sounds like a good approach for you. But with the research, we're not gonna like, we can't really say much about this. And so that's when my PRP journey began, but I'll stop there if you have any questions. <laughs> I mean, I've got so many questions to go back on all of the stuff that you've just said. It's you know, a really, I mean, you're obviously so determined to get to the bottom of your pain. And that's, that's one of the things that really gets to me is that you, you fought for yourself, right? You didn't just accept something that was said, first of all, you know, that it was, wasn't anything to worry about. You know, you kept getting pushed and pulled around by lots of different people saying different things. But what was amazing was that you fought for yourself and you knew no one knows their own body like the individual, right? No one can know it better than you do. So if you know that something's wrong, then you should push for it and you did so i'm so so pleased that you've done that um and what i definitely wanted to come back to was how many opinions did you get about whether to, or not to have your PO? so let's see i got about five opinions and then asked a few physical therapists and it was all about 50 50 it was really hard well i would say more majority were no don't do the PAO but mm -hmm. then my own surgeon who I did trust and I did have a good relationship with like he's the only one that actually saw my hips you know like when he cut me when it, he, it was right there so that makes me a little nervous like he does have a different perspective though he thought I should do the PAO even before surgery so I could tell there was some bias in just him thinking that everyone needs a PAO. <laughs> and so obviously you've had your two arthroscopies now, so for your labral tears that have done your mend, um, and you've been going through your own rehab to be able to help get this all strong um, afterwards. What help have you had with the um, rehabilitation that you've had since those surgeries? Yes, so right after surgery, I went to a physical therapist in Denver. Um, I was seeing two people there. I was going like two or three times a week, so it was very aggressive, and they were great, but I my body is so complicated, like, because what has come up through all of my rehab is that I'm hypermobile, and I just don't recover well. I had muscle tears left over from the surgeries. Um, it's like it's, my body just wasn't healing, which makes me so thankful that I didn't do the PAO. I honestly don't think I would have recovered because of, I'm, or it would have taken exponentially longer because of my hypermobility. And that's not something that was addressed prior to surgery. So all that to say is I stayed with this physical therapy place for about six months. And when I was sort of unraveling, like I would just show up to physical therapy and start crying because I didn't like, they were great. They were doing their job, but I was going downhill fast and I, they didn't really know why, and they seemed pretty, like you can tell when someone also feels defeated that you're working with. And so at that point, 
I mean, they felt like my best friends at that point. So it was very hard to leave because I saw them two or three times a week. But yeah. at that point, I, I knew that I needed a different opinion. So um, through a few different people, I ended up finding the physical therapist that I'm with now, who her name's Dawn. She is internationally recognized, actually. Uh, she does a lot of conferences around the world. So I feel very lucky that she's only a 30 minute drive from me, but she specializes in chronic pain and like small muscle dysfunction. Um, so she is my champion. She's still like my person. She has connected me to Dr. Mazzola who does the PRP and stem cell injections. And then he connected me to a different physical therapist that works on fascia. Um, so those three people are my team now, and in addition to those three, I do massage pretty routinely and acupuncture. So the last year, it's been a full year now, I have been seeing that team, and I haven't had to change it up. I feel my progress has been very up and down. It's been really hard. I've definitely broken down a lot and felt like I wasn't getting better, but I feel very confident in the team and they work together, which I feel like I just have this like crazy lucky network with that is very committed to me getting better and them communicating with each other has been extremely helpful because then I don't have to pass all of these technical terms around to each. They're just all on the same page, which is not the case mostly in the, especially in the US medical system, that just is very rare to find. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, even in, even in the UK, you know, in the, when you're in the NHS, um, in the system that we have over here, we have multidisciplinary team meetings. So you will have this meeting where, you know, you have the consultants and the nurses and the physios and the occupational therapists, they all come together and they chat about their patients, um, you know, once a week or however often they do. Um, now I'm not in the NHS anymore. Um, I've gone private, but um, if, if you have that, then I can completely understand how amazing that is to be able to have everybody fighting your corner and have them all communicating with each other about your case. It makes it so much easier for you. And that's absolutely amazing to have that situation. So yeah, I'm sure you feel very, very lucky yeah. to have that. Um, I did want to go back to your hypermobility though, because you mentioned earlier that you were a gymnast um, when mm. you were younger. And I think the stats are something crazy, like 95% of gymnasts and ballet dancers are hypermobile. Are you serious? Yeah, seriously. I, 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 they were the stats last time I checked, um, but that was quite a few years back. Um, but it's a crazy amount um, that have hypermobility. And maybe that's the reason why they go into that, right? Because they are, their bodies are you know, designed to be able to cope with that. You, they can do all the backflips and the splits and all, you know, these crazy moves um, that everybody admires so much, but their body is, you know, genetically designed to be able to do those things. Um, but obviously with that, if you then realize that you have that mild instability for the dysplasia, even if it is mild, if you're hypermobile, then the ligaments that you have in your body aren't perhaps giving you as much support and that instability with the lack of support, then is obviously going to create excess movement and instability and the inflammation. Um, 
and then that extra movement obviously is then going to lead to the towards those labral tears so um it completely makes sense the journey that you've had and why it's been so difficult um and also being so active throughout your childhood and early adulthood you know to be to be fair to the doctors if somebody came into to, to me and said uh, i'm having i'm having pain but i'm super active it wouldn't be my first thought that you'd had a hernia i've got to say <laughs> when you're so fit and active um that's true <laughs> yeah but um i am really really pleased that they that they managed to find that so um so you're obviously having like you said acupuncture and you're having stem cell therapy and you're having physio when you say physio what does that mean for you is that like the exercises of rehabilitation or are you having manual therapy done as well yes both so i go once a week um to see dawn and a lot of it right now is manual therapy and then I have this exercise program, but it is really basic still, and it's been a year of getting PRP and then, you know, resting from PRP, getting manual therapy, slowly building up to, like, be able to do three sets of this exercise program. A lot of it is with, like, TRX or laying on my back, like, small abdomen movements, uh, some squats, things like that. And so I have to take, because of the hypermobility and just the, that joint loose ligaments, I have to take a really long time to build up. So it'll be like, like I actually got a PRP two weeks ago. So I'm just now able to start my exercises. And today I have to do 10 of each. That's all. And I have to do that for a couple of days and then I can do two sets for like about a week and then three sets. So you can imagine it takes a long time to build up to three sets of 15. So I do that and then usually I get another round of PRP or, you know, something happens where I'm in a ton of pain and I have to stop for a little bit because when I get super inflamed, like I, it just is so painful. I have to really rest in it has put me behind quite a bit. So it's kind of been this constant cycle, but the goal of the PRP has been to get my pelvis stabilized. So since, I think this was happening before surgeries, but maybe it was exacerbated after surgery is my SI rotates. Um, and then that throws off my pelvis. So the whole point has been to get the pelvis stabilized and it is finally starting to stabilize my SI is not going out nearly as much. So it's very exciting because that means that I can then start to actually work on building muscle. And I think for me, because of that hypermobility, I'm not really going to be out of pain until I get stronger. And I think that's why the surgeries, like it just, all of these issues in my body just came out full force because it really was the first time in my life that I was not working out. I never had a period where I had lost muscle. So I think the my strength is what was holding everything together. And when that went, it just all sort of spiraled. So hopefully in the next few months, I can really work on getting stronger for real and not have a setback. It's, it's so true, isn't it? Like, and it makes so much sense with that, that time window of not being able to exercise and then those symptoms getting so much worse. It, so I'm, yeah, 
awesome that you're doing so much strength work that is absolutely the thing that's going to make the, the long-term difference for you. And what's been really interesting in lockdown is, you know, I, I feel very lucky to be able to work with um, a lot of other people that have hip dysplasia and because of COVID and all the restrictions and appointments not happening and surgeries not happening, um, I've been able to work with people to try and get them stronger through throughout this period. And there are so many people whose symptoms have improved so much over this like four to six month period that, you know, they're, they're then in a way more comfortable position to actually consider whether they want the surgeries or whether they want to delay them another couple of years because their symptoms are so much better being stronger. So mm -hmm. it really can make such a difference, but you're completely correct that it does take time. You know, you can't strengthen a muscle in a couple of weeks. It takes, you know, a minimum of six weeks to make a difference to muscle strength. Um, so yeah, it sounds like you're being very patient and it, you might find it's a two steps forward, one step back kind of thing. But if you continue with that and you keep that consistency, then you are going to move forwards. It might be slower than you want to. I'm sure it's slower than any of us want to move. Um, but you will find that you're going forward. So yeah, that's absolutely incredible. Yeah, you did sometimes. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, sometimes I feel like it's two steps forward, four steps back, but <laughs> we're getting there. <laughs> the ratio is getting better and better. <laughs> um, and you mentioned with your PRP, you said that about for about two weeks afterwards, you can't do um, any of your exercises. So can you talk us through that process of when you have the PRP and what happens in the two weeks after? Yes, I'm obsessed with PRP. I tell everyone to do it. I think it is just, I... I can't believe how much it has helped me. So I'm definitely biased towards that option of recovery. But yeah, basically, so the first time I got it was last October and I've done four rounds now. The first round, so the PRP is the platelet-rich plasma and that they take your blood and then inject it. And then there's also the stem cells from your fat. So I've done both. Um, the first round I did the PRP and the stem cells which they get fat from your butt and then mix it all up and then inject it into your <laughs> ligaments and joints. That's a, that's a normal person uh, description of what happens. But basically after you get that injection, everything becomes really inflamed, but it's like your body's response to say, okay, heal this. So then your body starts regenerating the ligaments and joints and they regenerate with the stronger PRP and stem cells so they can actually repair and heal. So I would say the first few days are quite painful because you are really inflamed and your body's doing a lot of healing. So I usually just sleep a lot. It's crazy how tired you get after. I think, you know, your body just wants to heal itself and then Sometimes you may need crutches, sometimes you can walk. If you can walk without a limp or pain, then it's fine to do so. And then for about two weeks, you have to be, you can, you know, live your life, like do household things, but not do any exercises or just do um, really little exercise. I forget the term, like, uh, like, you know, you're just squeezing a muscle, but you're not actually like, Oh, the isometric exercises. Isometric, yes, yes. You can do that. It's like, there's a name. Um, and then, so now at two weeks, I can start riding the bike for, you know, about 10 minutes. I can start trying to walk a little farther. 
and I can do start doing some of my exercises now, which are, you know, what I said before, just really basic, like some ab exercises, some squats and lunges with the TRX, but everything with two feet on the ground, like take it pretty slow for another two weeks. And then after four weeks, I can start progressing more. Absolutely. So um, when you say you've got your two feet on the ground, so we're talking closed chain exercises, so there's no jumping or anything where you lose contact and then have to regain it again. Yes. Yes. Cool. And it's funny because all the restrictions for the procedure are things that I can't, like, I don't do that anyway. I haven't done that in three and a half years. So it doesn't feel like that restrictive for me because it's sort of just how I am always. And how have you found that this is, um, this, I mean, obviously the, the past few years have been quite difficult for you and with quite a few challenges, both mentally and physically, which I'm sure we'll come back to in a moment. I really want to talk about your blog a little bit more. Um, but in terms of like the day to day, you know, so how is it affecting things like work or home or hobbies? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. It has had such a huge impact on my life. Um, I think I've learned a lot and I'm far enough out where I can see some of the silver linings, not all of them, but some of them. Um, So for work, I have been on and off disability. The pain really has been all consuming at some point. So the first, I went on short-term disability, obviously after both surgeries. Um, And then I went on short-term disability again about six months after my second surgery. That's when I was at that other physical therapy location. Everything was spiraling. I really couldn't do anything. I was back to square one with my pain. So I just finally, I sort of just broke down. It was like, I can't do this. I need to put all of my energy to figuring out what's wrong because I need to, I have, I mean, my whole life felt like it was taken from me at that point. In addition, I was working like crazy hours. I was just slammed with work. So I was putting in 60 hour weeks, 60, 70 hour hour weeks regularly. And that was sitting at a desk. So I couldn't really take care of myself. um, And I didn't have the mental capacity to like look up different doctors or physical therapists. So That's when I submitted for short-term disability. I'm very lucky to have gotten that. So I actually went from July 2019, December 2019, not working at all. And that's when I did the Mayo Clinic. That's when I found this team of people that I'm working with. So that pretty much saved me. I don't know what would have happened if I hadn't said like, I can't work. I need to, this is my full-time job. Um, and so after that, I came back January or no, came back December, 2019 to work part-time. So I've been working about 24 to 30 hours a week since then. And I'm still part-time now, though I'm starting to ramp up more. So I'm, I would say I should be working 30 hours. I'm working close to 40, about 35 hours per week. So, I mean, um, that, that is full time, right? Yeah, <laughs> I think it's 37 and a half technically full time. Um, so you're, why, you're yeah, <laughs> that's why I needed part time so I could just work full time and not over full time. That's but, crazy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Um, so I, 
I'm in a lot of these Facebook groups um, for hip dysplasia and a lot of people are asking questions a lot of the time about going on disability allowance and um, how did you find that process? Was that, was that challenging in terms of being able to have to justify it or provide evidence to be able to say that you know, you're, you're struggling with that certain things? How was that process for you? And is there any tips that you can give other people that you know, feel that they might benefit from that situation? Yeah, it was extremely difficult. So after surgeries, it was easy because it was like, there's a clear protocol. But when I was just trying to go on short-term disability, not after a surgery, it was extremely difficult. And I, I just said, like, I need this and I'm just going to keep pushing. And the fact is, like, my appointments and my notes from all the doctors and physical therapists, like, they, it spoke for themselves, like, my, you know, like, it did provide the evidence. I couldn't do anything. I was in constant pain. It was really difficult to work, but the review process took so long. So I stopped working in July. My request was pending until mid-August. They ended up, like, giving me back pay, but they kept saying like, oh, we're still deciding. But meanwhile, I had already told my employer like I'm going out on disability. So it was an extremely stressful few months because I didn't know if I was gonna get paid or not. And I think the system is not set up to support all people. Luckily, I had a safety network. So I had my husband that is a full-time employee. I knew my parents could have stepped in if I needed it. And the fact is, I, I think if I didn't have a safety network, I wouldn't have been able to take disability because they didn't provide me with the answer up front. And um, it's just so inequitable. And I think often about people that don't have the resources. If I didn't have resources, I would still be in excruciating pain. And then we talk about like the opioid epidemic and things like that. And it's like, we don't have a system that actually gets people better. I paid out of pocket for my physical therapy. I paid for the PRP and the stem cells. So, I mean, my entire income goes to my rehab. And I feel so fortunate that I'm able to do that. And I also know most people aren't in that position. Yeah, of course. Um, and I, like I said, from reading your blog and all of the issues that you've had with insurance companies and with the disability and, you know, having to go through those processes can't have been easy on you or your family um, or any of your support system around you. Um, it brings me quite nicely to something else, which is a slightly more sensitive subject from your blog um, about the friendships of the people that you have around you um, and the people that you've come to realise are there for you or not there for you so are you happy to talk a little bit about that what you've learned from from those friendships and support systems yes there's definitely been a huge mental piece to all of this um i think when you're in such a vulnerable state you just learn a lot about yourself and about who the people are around you so for me before my surgeries i really was very steady mentally like I was always the support friend but never really the friend that needed or asked for anything um, and so it was extremely hard for me to ask for help after my surgery like 
that's just the last thing I wanted to do ever. And through that process, I realized that I have given so much to the people around me and some people gave so much back and then other people I didn't hear from after. It was like, because I couldn't engage how I used to, they just weren't engaging with me at all. So that um, was a really hard lesson to learn because it hurts, but I have just learned who my closest people are from that experience. And I have very much let go of the people that I felt like it wasn't a 50-50 relationship. And I didn't expect people to like come bring me things or like do anything for me. But I'm talking like at least ask about how my hip surgeries went or maybe reach out, you know, after I got it. Like these are like very close friends. So it wasn't like I had this high bar, but I just felt like if they couldn't even be aware that I was going through some such a big life event, then they probably weren't worth having in my life. And even before the surgeries, I think just with having chronic pain, it's really difficult to maintain friendships and there were some friends that I think just didn't really take the time to understand so for example I just feel like I had to bail on people a lot because I would make plans but then I would wake up that day and be in tons of pain and I'd say like I can't meet you for dinner I can't sit at a restaurant like I'm laid up in bed but I didn't always like explain that level of detail so I think the closest people to me now are really people that empathized and didn't get frustrated, didn't stop reaching out. And people that aren't in my life now sort of felt like they were a little mad that I couldn't show up and be there for them because they didn't really take the time to think about what I was going through and how that was affecting my ability to engage. I think what's wonderful about that though is that as a result of all of that, the people that you do have in your life are people that you love and care about who, like you said, have that 50 or 50 relationship. They care and want to support you and are intrigued about your life in equally the same way. And so you might potentially have slightly less people around you now, but the quality of those relationships, it sounds like they're so much better. Yes. And I feel so good about it. It was definitely hard at first, but it just, everything was crystal clear after that. Like, these are my people and I'm so happy for them to be my people. And I will put everything into these relationships to maintain them. And I'm very much at peace with it. So that has been a huge silver lining for me. And I don't know if I ever would have learned that lesson um, if I hadn't gone through that experience. Yeah, there's, um, there's something that you wrote um, and it was about your independence and, you know, the fact that you were so proud of your independence, that it was one of your greatest strengths is something that you put down. But you also put, and, and I quote, that strength can become your weakness at the drop of a hat. Um, so that, you know, being so proud of your independence and not feeling like you needed to ask anybody for help was then something that you then really struggled with in this situation. So that's, you know, something really incredible to come out of all of this is that you've learned that actually it's okay to ask for help. And you're asking for help now from the people that you know love you and you know, have you know that incredible relationship with. So 
it's something that you potentially perceived as a negative at the time, but has turned itself around to be a really amazing part of this outcome. Yes, definitely. And I still have to remind myself it's okay to ask for things or ask for help when you need it, but definitely a very good lesson to learn and something I needed. <laughs> and the other thing that you uh, referred to in your blog was um, you describe this thing inside of you or the pain that you were struggling with is your beast um, that you've talked about over over the years and, and how you've dealt with that and um, you know I want to kind of wrap this conversation up by asking you just to talk a little bit about the fact that you quote that you're starting to find the beauty within the beast yes um, so that the so I wrote sort of a short thing on the beast which is just a metaphor for the pain that I'm feeling every day and I wrote that right after my first surgery so it was really a reflection of everything I had been through of just working every day eight to ten hours every day and behind I work from home all the time um, so I would be sitting on a tennis ball, I would be stretching in weird positions, nothing, nobody, none of my coworkers could see what I was doing. So it was just this constant, like trying to find relief from the beast for even five seconds all day long for a year and a half. Um, so it's pretty cathartic to write that piece to just get it out. And a, a lot of my friends and relatives reached out because I think they, for the first time, sort of understood what I had been going through. Um, I think sometimes it's just more powerful through words than like explaining, oh, my right psoas hurts today or something like that. <laughs> um, so that felt really cathartic. I definitely have found writing has helped me process and recover mentally from everything I've been through. So flash forward, Dawn, my physical therapist, she loved all my blog posts. And one day I came in and she's like, all right, I have a task for you. You have to write something about how you found beauty in the beast. And I want you to think about it for the next few weeks. And I want you to write a blog about it because um, you've learned a lot and you should reflect on that. So I thought that was like a really awesome thing to do because I definitely needed some pushing to find the silver linings. I wasn't ready to acknowledge anything, um, but it was a great exercise because that's when I really looked at my life and who I am now and how I've changed since the pain began. And I think there are so many things that I've learned about myself and I, it was pretty, pretty helpful to reflect on those things. And it gave me some peace, not total peace. I'm still working on it, but it did, did give me some peace in what I've been through. Um, so like one example is before I had pain, I think my confidence was very much associated with how strong I felt and how much I worked out. So I think from gymnastics, I was used to working out four hours a day. Then after gymnastics in college, I would run like 10, 10 miles a day, like nothing. And it was almost 
an unhealthy, like looking back, I think it was unhealthy amount of working out. It was like, I had to fit it in. And I, if I didn't, I would feel so bad about myself. Like I had to work out at least an hour and a half a day, or I had to run 10 miles. Like 30 minutes wasn't good enough. Three miles wasn't good enough. So I had an extreme pressure on myself. I, I always had felt confident. I always thought I was a confident person, but really it was pretty superficial because it was attached to my strength. And I felt my confidence just completely crumble the first year I was in pain. I felt disgusting. I felt just self-conscious about everything because I no longer had the thing that was making me feel confident. But throughout the years, I've been able to learn how to be confident without being strong. And that's also like still a learning curve. I think it's a learning curve probably forever, but I think that I have been able to find things I like and can do that aren't exercise related and just be confident in my own skin and not attach it to anything besides myself. I think learning to, to love who we are, regardless of the things that we do or the achievements that we make or, you know, external success. And I say this, I mean, no one else can see me here, but I'm doing these air quotes here for success, right? Because success isn't, doesn't have to be what other people can see us doing, right? We should learn to be happy with who we are inside, not dependent on those external, and I say again in quotes, successes. So again, that's such an incredible journey to, to go through and start realizing some of those things about yourself. And I, I really think that people that are listening to this now will have found so many words of comfort from you. Um, you know, your bravery, your determination to go through this journey and still have that smile on your face um, and be looking for the positives in these situations. So I can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing your story with us today. It means so much. Yes, thank you. Um, so we'll wrap up for now, but we'd love to keep in touch with you. So um, is there anywhere that any of our listeners could find you on any social media platforms that you'd be happy to share? Yes, I do post sometimes about my journey on my Instagram account and then my blog is on Medium and maybe this, I, ha I haven't written anything for about six months, like basically since I went back to work. <laughs> so this will motivate me to write another blog piece. Fantastic. So I've got the link to the blog and I'll pop that up on the show notes for today. Um, and your Instagram handle was? It's kcala31. So K-C-A-L-L-A 31. Brilliant. So yeah, please go and find um, Kathleen there and continue to support her on your journey. So for now, thanks so much and we'll speak soon. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back again next week with another inspiring and incredible guest. See you soon.